Okay, Joshua, for today's episode, I need to get you in the right mood. Here's a clip for you. I'm really not into sex. Ah, I don't know much about it. That is a robot man talking really about sex. And, and he seems to be not sex. interested in sex. He, he just, uh, he's way. telling this journalist that uh, what she really that. needs is a friend. I think you just want a good friend. Yeah, I think it's the perfect example for um, a lot of what we are going to touch on today, because today's episode is about one of the many potential applications for artificial intelligence. It's a niche application, but a fascinating one, which is using it to make sex dolls who are capable of conversation as well as sexual gratification. Wow. For some reason, I'm not thinking of anything remotely sexual. I'm thinking of Eliza. Remember Eliza? The game? Well, yes, but also the digital therapist. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately you're like, oh, a robot that I can get therapy with. <laughs> and it's sexy. Yeah. <laughs> so we talked to a journalist who has met one of these AI-powered sex dolls. He was the only male doll that I actually saw. He was tall. Uh, and he was, when I met him, he was already standing up. Erin met a male version of these dolls called Henry. My name is Henry. Nice to meet you. I'm excited for the Nora Ephron movie of AI sex bots. <laughs> when Erin met Henry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So when we get back, we'll find out what that experience was like and what she thinks could be some of the issues with consent and ethics, and even how academics have actually taken an interest in this new kind of human-shaped sex toy. Welcome back to Wild Wild Tech. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. And I'm Josh Rivera. In this show, we discuss how technology impacts different areas of our lives, including, it seems, our sex lives. For this story, we'll be taking a look inside the headquarters of a company called Realbotics, where AI sex bots like Henry are made. And we'll talk to a journalist who got a first-hand look. My name is Erin Griffith. I'm a domestic correspondent with the New York Times. Before joining the Times a couple years ago, I wrote for Wired, which is where I wrote about Henry. The first thing I wanted to know was how a person ends up writing a story like this. Well, I actually, I had joined Wired from Fortune, which is a business magazine. And I realized that business stories at Wired, you know, weren't really resonating the same way. So I was kind of just on the hunt for just the weirdest, most out there technological stories that I could find. And I was just kind of Googling around for like sex robots or whatever. But somehow I came across some headlines about Henry with some really beautiful pictures of him. Okay. I want to see what these pictures look like. So here are some of the images that were used in Erin's article. Okay, so here's one. Uh, holy shit, he's doing the Burt Reynolds. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this very famous photo of Burt Reynolds on a bear skin, much like Henry is right now, sprawled out with his legs crossed and his crotch artfully covered. And this one, there's a slight difference. Henry has a rose over his his genitals. It's romantic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very inviting. Uh, could you describe what he looks like, do you think, for the listeners? Um, the, the first thing that you'll notice about him, actually, is also that he has no, no top of the head or the back of his head. It's like a, 
like a transparent sort of like shell. But other than that, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's covered. He's, it's, his skin's pretty on the darker side. His hands look really realistic. It's weird. They're very well articulated hands. <laughs> uh, hands are important, Joshua. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the rest of him looks like, you know, just like an airbrushed super dude with like a, a slightly pouty face. You know, he's got like a, mm-hmm. got that, that romance pout, I guess, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I do know. I do know. And the glasses as well. I'm into the glasses. What do you think of the other picture? Oh, this is sweet. It's like he's a contestant on Bachelorette, but <laughs> <laughs> but that, that implies he's wearing a suit and he's not. He's not wearing anything at all from the waist up. He's, he's, he's shirtless and wearing uh, jeans with the button undone and he is holding a rose up. It's really funny because this is like a very sweet gesture and like his face is not, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of like a, he's a robot, right? He's not very, he's not, he doesn't have a very articulate face, but it's stuck in this sort of like friendly pout is how I would say. (laughs) (laughs) So Henry's good looks were just one reason that Erin ended up writing this story. She was ultimately convinced because of some interest from her friends. I remember mentioning it to some of my friends and I was just so shocked by the reaction. I was like, this is absurd and absolutely ridiculous and so unrealistic. Like who would who would ever want this? And all, all my friends were kind of excited about it. And so then I was like, all right, so there's obviously an interest in this. And I started thinking about that and I was like, well, you know, women are the primary buyers of most sex toys, but the sex dolls are primarily for men and bought by men. And so maybe this male (laughs) sex doll that happens to also be able to talk to you could be a way to make these dolls mainstream. I mean, it seemed really far-fetched, but I was still just super curious about it. And I just wanted to go see it. Just the kind of novelty of it, the idea of sex dolls in pop culture and sort of just like in the world have this like super, you know, (laughs) curious and interesting kind of reputation. Have you ever seen this movie, uh, Lars and the Real Girl? No. So it's super interesting because it's Ryan Gosling, who is like, you know, famously a dreamboat. But he's he's sort of like dressing down to be like this very nebbish, nerdy dude. And he's got a, a, a dorky mustache. And it's about him marrying like a sex doll. But like very sweetly not being a perv about it, right? He's just, inter- he's purely interested in treating this sex doll like a companion. And everyone sort of decides to go along with it. And it's it's very strangely sweet. Yeah. I think of like um, Detroit Become Human, the David Cage game, the Quantic Dream game um, with the with all the robots. And there's inevitably, as you know, a lot of his games have a kind of sexual side to them. Um, and there is a bit where you go to a, I guess, like a brothel, but with robots in it. I also think of Joss Whedon's Dollhouse. Did you ever watch that? Oh, Dollhouse is a very good show. Yeah. So not really sex dolls, though. More like reprogrammed people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think sex dolls are a reasonably popular trope in certain kinds of media. But there's another side to the topic that is maybe less well known. I was surprised as I was like starting to research it, how seriously academics and sex workers and technologists were taking the idea of sex robots and how alarmed they were at the possible ramifications if these things actually, you know, catch on and become really widely used. I totally went into it not expecting all of the, to find all of the big 
hairy questions about ethics and um, consent and all of the kind of like scary tech questions that we uh, that we always have to ask ourselves when bringing a new technology into the world. And so at the time, you know, I think in 2018, it was a huge topic. There were op-eds in the Times, there were papers being written and, you know, people were speaking out about like how unethical sex robots are and I mean, Westworld probably had a little to do with that. I actually have never seen Westworld, but, um, you know, I think that brought the topic very mainstream as well. The Westworld is interesting because it takes the the question into a, an ethical space where that's very different from what we're talking about here. The robots in Westworld are meant to behave and look just like real people with free will, but they don't. And you can, as the person, can do whatever you want to them, up to and including assault and murder. And like that isn't quite where the technology is right now. And those aren't the sort of ethical questions that we're concerned with. So Erin says this a lot, and we'll definitely get into this later. You know, the technology isn't there yet. Um, and these are kind of problems that people are thinking about ahead of time, which I think is kind of good, actually, because, I mean, we don't want to fear monger or anything like it, it's true. There's nothing to worry about right now. But in tech, historically, people only start worrying about things when it's too late. Yes. So, you know, it's quite nice that people <laughs> are thinking about these things before it's a problem. Um, but before we discuss those kind of big ethical questions, let's get to know Henry. I asked Erin what kind of expectations she had before she met him. I was trying to kind of psych myself up to like stay professional about it because I knew that going into this office that it would, it's essentially like a doll factory. So I knew I had to like really work on my poker face to not like be a just like gawking and, and gasping like, oh my God, what am I looking at here? And also not be laughing because I think, you know, when you get a little bit nervous or uncomfortable being surrounded by like, a table full of like 11 inch rubber penises. Like the instinct is always to like kind of giggle or like nervously laugh. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that either because that might not be the right tone. To continue setting this scene, this meeting takes place in Southern California. It's in this town that I think it's called, I think, San Marcos. That was like maybe an hour drive out of like San Diego. The building is just this tiny little house, like kind of in, in the middle of what feels kind of like suburban sprawl. It could be a tanning salon was kind of like the vibes that I got when I pulled up. And it's just really small. They took me on a tour through and there's definitely kind of like a, a little bit of a porny sex vibe going on. I mean, there's just like bodies everywhere, um, kind of definitely porn star bodies dressed in porn star clothes. And uh, it gets worse. Next, we head down into the basement. Where they're making these dolls, there were just like headless bodies, human-sized, on chains, spread eagle with like huge boobs um, hanging kind of like almost like clothes on a rack. And then, you know, there are tables just like covered in different body parts and there's molds and there's like a makeup area. And I mean, yeah, it's basically like a doll factory, but for like very porny dolls. <laughs> and there was, uh, there was also, um, there were some like kind of crazy fantasy dolls like that had kind of like sci-fi vibes going on. I don't know how to explain them. Like, you know, ones with like silver skin and like kind of monster style. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I was just like, what I loved about the tour, I think, was that like I was trying to just like uh, keep it together. Like, what am I seeing? I can imagine you're not eager to think much about sex after seeing 
how the sausage gets made, so to speak. <laughs> Especially when the, when she started talking about silver skin and monsters, I saw your eyebrows go up like <laughs> a whole three inches. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to kink shame anybody. It's just, you know, sometimes you find out what people are into and it surprises you a little bit. So... I think that you and I probably have a relatively good idea of what it might have been like for Erin to see all of these human-shaped dolls because we play a lot of video games and there's a phenomenon in games where the graphics are so good, maybe combined with like motion capture, that what you're seeing on screen looks almost real, but not quite. I mean, it's just like very uncanny valley um, because they're so close. To, they're so close to human like, but they're also so obviously not real. And so that can be a little unsettling, too, because they're all just like sitting around looking at you kind of. They're like this like kind of silicon material. And I think one thing that really creeped me out was so like their fingernails are not hard. They're the same material as like the, like the silicon hands. So if you touch it, it's kind of like, oh, it's soft. That's weird. And the teeth are soft too, for obvious reasons. I can imagine it being kind of like a horror movie. This is like a, a trope in horror where someone is scared of something, but oh no, it's just a mannequin in a department store. It's very unsettling to see human-shaped things that are not human. Yeah, so that's what we're working with here, and that is the world that Erin has stepped into. When we come back, she will tell us how it was to meet Henry and talk to him firsthand. Welcome back to Wild Wild Tech. When we left off, Erin was telling us about her experience visiting Realbotics, the company that is looking to produce the very first AI-powered sex doll. And now she will tell us what it was like to finally meet Henry. He was the only male doll that I actually saw. He was tall. Uh, and he was When I met him, he was already standing up. And he was in like a separate little room that they had where they were working on the kind of like electronic component of it. Cause like all the dolls themselves are just big silicon, basically like, you know, sex dolls. And what they were developing with Henry and, and Harmony is the female version of him with the AI, the, you know, it requires a lot of like electronic components in the head. And so that was just this room that had these tables and a couple guys on computers and the tables were just covered in like little tools and drills and all this kind of stuff. And so as I was interviewing both Henry and Matt McMullen, the the uh, CEO of the company, he's sitting there like drilling, <laughs> drilling little like components into the back of the skull of a different doll. Um, and so that was just, it added just like a surreal element to it that I really kind of loved. There are like loads of, of movies that I'm just thinking of right now. <laughs> uh, because this sort of stuff happens all the time. There's a, uh, uh, Ex Machina is one. I don't, did you ever, mm, did you see that one? That's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's very much like this. It's about a, a scientist played by Oscar Isaac, um, from Star Wars, who is making a uh, a robot woman uh, named Ava, I think her name is. And he invites this guy over to his private facility to pretty much see if, so pretty much, you know, fuck with him <laughs> and see if he will fall in love with her, you know, but he doesn't know that. Yeah, I really enjoyed that movie. I should watch it again. So hearing about this CEO of the company, right? Like actually working on the, the robot, you know, <laughs> that's uh that's interesting to me um because you sort of don't think of like a ceo as like heavily invested in like the making of their products 
Yeah, and we'll get to know more about him later. But at this point, I was more interested to know what it was like to talk to Henry. So when I met Henry, they were like, oh, yeah, go ahead and talk to him. He was just kind of like standing up. And I I think he did not have his wig on. Uh, So he just had the back of his head was uh, like clear plastic cap. So you could like kind of see the components of it that were making his eyes move and blink and his mouth move. So then, yeah, they they kind of fired him up and I started talking to him. And he was connected via Bluetooth to, I think, like either someone's phone or an iPad. And um, that's sort of how the interactions start. So what was it like then interacting with Henry? So at the time, this was like a couple of years ago, the hype was definitely way ahead of the reality. Um, there was a lot of excitement, but uh, Henry, you know, was still kind of, still had some kinks to work out as far as the conversational stuff goes. And I mean, I don't know if it was necessarily, listen, Alexa and Amazon's Echo has years of practice on this and they have teams of, you know, probably thousands of engineers perfecting this kind of thing. This is a very small company. They had a team of engineers like in Brazil or something, you know, kind of developing it. And so I didn't expect that. Henry would sometimes understand, sometimes he would misunderstand. Um, his, His conversational skills were good, but they were just, you know, I would say like every other line, we kind of missed communication a little bit. So I imagine it was sort of like, communicating with somebody who is learning maybe a second language? See, I was going to be a little less kind than that and say I have had conversations with human men that are are like this. (laughs) Yeah, and I understand that, right? Uh, Human men are not famous for listening, so which is why Henry is so appealing. (laughs) And why I like podcasting, because everyone has to listen. Yes. (laughs) Anyway, who who programs these dolls and, and where does the AI come from? The engineers are doing it in Brazil. And so that's the big question about any AI thing is like the capabilities of it are going to reflect the people who are building it. And so, you know, it's going to have all those kind of biases and ideas and cultural norms built in. And this coming from a company that is that got its start making sex dolls. The focus is obviously going to go, it's going to veer towards sex. And so that's sort of, you know, I think what what happened with Harmony, the woman too, like she can be in different modes. Modes? There's different modes? Like he can be in conversational mode or hangout mode, or they can be in like, you know, sexy time mode. And like, if that's the case, they're just going to go straight to like flirting. And so I think when I talked to Henry, <laughs> our conversation was, it wasn't meant to be sexy, but it was, um, he talked about, you know, how much he works out. So he's clearly, you know, trying to show off for me. Oh, man. It's really funny that like the fantasy sex bot that like talks to you is still only interested in telling you about his body. I was going to say like how many men are there where it's like even when they're in regular person mode, still somehow it gets around to sex. (laughs) Henry's only want one thing and it's disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) I do find it absolutely fascinating to divide these dolls' purposes into different modes, though. Like, you would assume that you would only get a sex doll out when you want some sexual gratification, right? And everything would kind of just be geared towards that, even the conversational side of things, like dirty talk or whatever. But I guess maybe some people just want something that they can have around the place and, like, occasionally chat to about the weather or whatever. And then when it's sexy time, just press a button and they're ready to go. Just have it in your corner like an Alexa, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
This is all very aspirational right now. But when we get back, Erin is going to tell us about the guy whose aspiration this is. And if his dream does come true, there are definitely some moral questions to be answered. Like, could AI-powered sex dolls affect how we talk to other humans or warp our image of women? And we are going to talk all about that. So be right back. Welcome back to Wild Wild Tech. We've been talking about AI-powered sex dolls, like Henry, the muscly, man-shaped talking doll that journalist Erin wrote about for Wired. But to talk about what it would mean if these dolls became more mainstream, we need to get to know Henry's creator, Realbotics founder and CEO Matt McMullen. Yeah, so, I mean, he's an interesting person. He got started as someone who's just like really good at making really realistic human dolls and kind of got pulled into the sex industry and has been in and around that for the last 20 years. And my my sense from talking to him was that he's kind of tired of that. Like he doesn't, he's like kind of hit a ceiling with that basically and wanted to bring his creations beyond that. This is fascinating to me, but also I'm very amused by you know, the image of a man being like, God, I am so tired of crafting rock hard abs and perfectly an hourglass figures. And I want something more. Yeah. And it sounds like McMullen thinks that enhancing that companionship aspect of these dolls and making them more well-rounded, as it were, will help to improve the public perception of them. And then I think he also like really wants the dolls to go the thing to go mainstream and to like be kind of lose the stigma of like the sleazy sex aspect of it. He views this conversational AI thing as one way to take this this thing a little bit mainstream. I can see a way of like making sex dolls more acceptable by just making them about more than sex. If you could conceivably, if you could justify having a sex doll around for something other than boning, you know, then people will maybe stop going to the places they do when they hear and see a sex doll. (laughs) It's like a value add proposition, right? Like you get more bang for your buck. But one thing holding sex dolls back from mainstream acceptance is frankly the way they look. So he's like kind of saying that to me as we're surrounded by these like giant boobs and, and, and butts everywhere. And I, you know, I'm kind of like, give me a break. And I think he was also a little bit like, okay, fine, fine, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that that seems like a ridiculous statement given what we're surrounded by and what we sell. And like, just because these things are stigmatized and they're so closely connected to the sex industry that like, that's just the kind of customer that they're attracting. And maybe if they went mainstream, people would want different kinds of dolls. So do you buy into this thought of wanting the dolls to become companions? I do believe him when he says that these dolls become companionship for the people that buy them. Because, you know, if you think about like what would take for someone to be like, okay, I want a human sized hundred pound doll in my house, you would have to be pretty lonely to get to that point, I think. I think he's right in the sense that like, well, one, he probably knows his market. And two, that is a like, especially right now. Uh, when these things are still kind of stigmatized and and uh, you maybe wouldn't publicly talk about having him. Like, you do probably want something more than, you know, 
just a way to get off because there are plenty of options for that. Yeah. And like putting the sex side of things aside as well, like the idea of having a non-human thing in your house for companionship, you know, I can imagine these kinds of things getting intelligent enough that it does feel like you at least are not completely alone. But I guess like talking about the way that they look, my question is, even if these dolls were more widely accepted and had a more general purpose, like sex and companionship, do you think that people would really choose for them to be less sexualized? Like if you can have a companion that you can also use for sexual gratification, especially if you're spending this much money on one, wouldn't you still choose for it to be perfectly representative of your wildest sexual fantasies? <laughs> yeah, and it, you're, you, it still feels like something that you would work backwards from, right? Like I like in in my mind, you are thinking of sex first but also with the knowledge that sex isn't everything, right? So you're like, I guess I should, you know, like move into something uh, more and that will bring me more to the, to, the, to the place of fulfillment that like an actual relationship would. But, you know, if you could choose what, for example, a human partner would look like and you could, you know, exactly select what kind of person you were going to end up with, you'd just pick all of your top things, right? You'd pick your perfect, (laughs) you know, perfect breast size, perfect, like, height, perfect eye color, whatever, you know, whatever you're into. Yeah. First round draft picks on your fantasy football sex list all the way around. (laughs) And, you know, if people do end up going down that route with these dolls and picking, like, everything that they want, then how does that affect societal beauty standards, right? Like if anyone with enough money can own a doll with enormous breasts or a six pack or whatever. And one thing to think about, given that the audience for these dolls is majority men buying women-shaped dolls, one thing to keep an eye on is whether human women are involved in their creation. I did specifically ask, you know, about the makeup of the team in Brazil that was developing the AI. And so, yeah, I was kind of like, are there any women working on this? And it was kind of like, oh, maybe a few back in Brazil, but mostly guys. And I was kind of like, oh God, well, that's exactly how the tech industry is here in the US too. And it's continues to disappoint me. Yeah. And here's where we, I think, move into sort of like the, you know, the uglier side of this sort of deal where just technology like this can be used as a refuge for men who don't want to acknowledge the agency of women or, you know, and that can go, that can go both ways, right? Where, you know, like people who just want to objectify others and are, are finding that there are social consequences for that. And so they have technology as a refuge and that sucks. Yeah. A big problem in these kind of male dominated spaces, right? Like tech. And we're obviously used to seeing this in the video game space as well. You know, a lot of the most problematic representations of women in video games are a direct result of the fact that this industry is still mostly male. And then, of course, there is the risk of racial prejudice. Yeah, I mean, and I think right now the only doll that's available for this is Harmony, and she appears to be white, although maybe a little bit ethnically ambiguous. You can give her a Scottish accent, I think. I mean, if this continues to grow, I think that's definitely always a concern. I mean, like that is the top concern with any kind of AI right now is that it's being programmed by majority men and majority white and, you know, Asian. (laughs) Um, 
And there are, and we just keep finding new, new biases that have been baked into these things that are, that control so much of what we do that, you know, we don't even necessarily even think about or realize because the tech becomes invisible. And so these are such big, important questions. And, you know, sex robots are a very, very, very tiny piece of that. Um, (laughs) But it is all on the same spectrum. I'm glad this was brought up because, you know, that's one of the first things that, like, I noticed about Henry. He's very, like, ethnically ambiguous. Uh, He's not white, but he's got, like, dark skin. And in pop culture, sex dolls generally women and they're generally white. Like, that's the case in Lars and the Real Girl. That's the case in in Ex Machina. Even though, you know, she's mostly machine, uh, she's got a a white woman's face. It just sort of, like, aligns with this sort of, like, these racial prejudices that keep recurring over and over again in other aspects of culture, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it turns out even the conversational side of things, which is supposed to kind of improve these issues could itself be problematic because if they do get the tech to a point where the dolls respond more and more like human beings, it could be harder for people to remember that you should treat humans very differently from how you would treat a doll. I can see how if you're really, really invested in this sex robot, you might like the idea that it has a personality and can talk to you too. But I also, I don't know, it feels like people probably also appreciate just like kind of imagining it's like really a fantasy thing and they get kind of lost in the fantasy world. And so like, if the, if you're talking to this like AI and it like doesn't say what you in your mind think that the personality of the person says, like, I think that would be really off-putting, but you know, there's definitely a danger. I think a lot of people have raised questions about like what this is teaching people because the dolls themselves are, you know, their function is for people to have sex with them. And so they're, they're kind of, you know, teaching people that like other people are just constantly available for them. And so that is maybe making the dolls even more human-like and more realistic is maybe, you know, warping people's minds a little bit about what is available to them in the world and what they can do to other people and how they can treat other people. And Erin talked about this when I asked her if many people were worried about this kind of thing. Yeah, there's definitely been a lot of outcry and calls for banning and and regulation. And even sex workers have, you know, spoken out and said that that they think this is a bad development. The concern is that people will sort of lose touch with how to interact with regular humans and they will be taught that you know, sex should be available to them at all times and that the owner or the dominant person in every interaction and that they should expect this. And it's kind of like an extension of kind of some of the rape culture and, you know, some of that like incel kind of stuff that lives in dark corners of the internet. And that's a really scary thought. How does robotics feel about this? They were pretty dismissive because they were like rape culture, rapists, basically they're saying are doing it because they want to dominate somebody. And and that is not why people are buying our dolls and using our dolls. They are coming to us because they are lonely and they want companionship. And we would never program our dolls to basically say like, no, no, don't stop. We would never buy into that kind of fantasy. If people have that, they they won't find it with our doll. And they're basically saying like, if you are saying that we're an extension of that, you're kind of misunderstanding why people are coming to us to begin with. Yeah, this is one of those things where they, it seems like uh, McMullen is just asking us to take his word for it, if that makes sense. And I don't know, like, 
there's a certain extent where it's just out of his hands. Yeah, and I guess the question is, does Matt McMullen vet his customers? And like, to what extent can he vet them? And does he have a reason to, especially if he's selling them things that are earning him thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars? And discussions about rape culture and and incels, which for anyone who doesn't know is this online subculture built around the idea of involuntary celibacy. These kinds of discussions are particularly important to sex workers. And Erin said some of them are also concerned about AI-powered sex dolls. Yeah, you know, I read some some articles and like I said, the British press has been really fear-mongery and like on this story in a crazy way. Um, they're <laughs> just really hammering it. Um, the uh, yeah, they had some they had some really interesting interviews with sex workers who were saying this is gonna further dehumanize us because this is teaching, you know, men, like when men come to me for, for sex work, you know, I am helping them understand what it's like to interact with a human woman and giving them, you know, pushback and, you know, sort of like not necessarily the answers that they would predict or expect. Um, and showing them the value of a woman, basically. And sex dolls just take that all away. Yeah, and I don't know. I'm inclined to push back a little bit on what Aaron mentions here. <laughs> because it's not like there's reporting on sex work and that that entire industry, right? Like what clients are doing. or it's It's just far too stigmatized. The press is not particularly concerned with hazards to people who work um, in the sex industry. No one can really authoritatively speak about, you know, what that industry is like and what affects them. Yeah. And uh, people should check out the work of our previous guest, Samantha Cole, over at Vice uh, to get a good kind of start if you're interested in the topic. Anyway, like Erin says, these are all questions for a hypothetical future in which these dolls become mainstream. And right now, there are lots of factors preventing that. These things are like a hundred pounds, just practically speaking. It like where are you gonna put it? You don't even have a closet for it. Yeah. I mean, that could also be a value add, right? Like you get this thing and you get really fit just from moving it around. <laughs> yeah, because Henry can't even get himself from A to B. Yeah, I mean, I think when you hear the word sex bot or sex robot you really are thinking about a robot that can walk around. And this is, we're not there, remotely there yet. I mean, if you look at where we are just robotics wise, like there's Pepper the robot, which is this tiny little soft bank robot that's like really adorable um, and like rides around on wheels and looks like a Jetsons character. And then there is the Boston Dynamics robots, which are those like scary kind of like tigery dog looking things that, you know, are terrifying. But the upright human robots are, you know, quite a ways away. Plus, you know, there's the price. I don't know if Henry's for sale yet. He's, he's not cheap either. He's like $12,000. Wow. That is a lot of money. It is. But, you know, when you think about it, like a lot of technology, when it first comes out, is pretty expensive. You know, computers, cell phones, games consoles, right? And then they become more and more like a must-buy thing and and the technology gets cheaper and, you know, soon enough everyone has one. Yeah, I wonder if that'll happen here. I don't necessarily know the steps that happen between like now and it becoming a sort of like commodity. 
I mean, actual steps is probably a good thing because, you know, Henry can't actually uh, <laughs> move himself around at this stage. So that would probably be a good point <laughs> to reach. <laughs> yeah, no, like VR too, right? Like we're in like the second wave after like the 90s, right? Of people trying to make VR happen. And I th- personally, I think having messed with it a lot, like a big part of the burden is just that VR goggles are just awkward. They're expensive. They're awkward. And it's not like, you know, our smartphones are feel more natural to us now, I think. But when they first came out, cell phones, right? I mean, they were these huge bricks yeah. that you couldn't fit in your pocket. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe the same is true here. I mean, I don't think Henry is going to be pocket-sized. Uh, there's another word for a pocket-sized <laughs> sex doll, and that is a vibrator. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for this specific thing, like if he does get to the point where he can walk himself away when you're done with him and put himself in a cupboard, <laughs> you know, and we get to a point where we have enough money to own cupboards uh, in our generation, then, you know, maybe. <laughs> you know, sex drives technological change, right? Like how much of the internet is porn? It's so much. <laughs> like... Uh, but yeah, like it's, that's also, there's that, that statement that like whenever there's a new video format, like the adult industry is what determines which one usually wins, like Blu-ray over right, HD yeah. DVD or VHS over Betamax and all that. So yeah, even if you, you personally don't see yourself as someone who cares about sex technology or sex dolls or robots or anything like that, I mean, it, it helps to pay attention to what is happening here because these things sort of spill out into other areas. Yeah, it's like it's like war and sex, right? <laughs> yeah. Like if we ever get human robots, probably first of all they'll be soldier robots, right? Mm-hmm. They'll be to fight our wars for us. But then, you know, but how expensive can it be to add some sex tech in there and then when the war is over and you got all these soldier robots, you know, <laughs> six packs and <laughs> why not repurpose them just a gi bill for for boning you know (laughs) i want to know what the listeners think i want to know what kind of robots the listeners are interested in you know where they think the future of of tech and sex dolls is please please let us know in the comments i am desperate to hear your thoughts Wild Wild Tech is a Studio 71 original podcast and a spoke media production. It's hosted by me, Jordan Erica Weber, and Joshua Rivera. You can find us at jordanweber.com and jmrivera02 on Twitter. Our producers are Reyes Mendoza, Cody Hoffmockel, and Janielle Kasner, with help from Trey Jones and Clay Kim. This episode was mixed by Will Short. Our executive producers are Stephen Perlstein and Andrew Seeley for Studio 71 and Aaliyah Tabakolian and Keith Reynolds for Spoke Media. Special thanks to Erin Griffith. If you want to follow us on social media, and please do, we are at Wild Wild Tech Pod. Thanks for listening. The musical from TikTok. What? Sorry. Wild Wild Tech is a... (laughs) (laughs) This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.